Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how the hell are you? I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. You know? Um Oh ho hum. Kind of fun ho, being hum, a UCLA is just advancing in the NCAA tournament. Who cares? Kind of okay. fun being a UCLA fan right now, right? Yeah. What, would you great. say? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Ho hum. You know, just 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 advancing and looking dominant as you do it. No big deal. Beating really good teams. Who cares? Yeah. Um I know you really like St. Mary's and a lot of the like advanced stats said they were pretty good. I had watched them a couple of times this year and I, I wasn't, I didn't see them beat Gonzaga, but I saw a couple other games and I, I thought they were, I thought they were very beatable actually. Um, well, clearly you were correct. They but, were indeed very beatable. But dude, I'm telling you, if the team that Akron put on the floor Top three team in the Pac-12? I mean, those guys were tough. They had well, some got, They had some surprising athleticism. Guys. Yeah, they've got two guys who could play, I think, for most programs in the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, and like a perfect mid-major guard, right? That um, The one dude who was just making everything? Yeah. Like, that, that's a really, that was a really tough combo, actually, in retrospect to deal with in round one. Um, because I think they were right. Their defense traveled. Um, the issue was they couldn't make shots, but even with the defense traveling, uh, that was no pushover. Um, they needed every damn bit of it to take on and defeat Akron. Um, I don't was, think uh, they had an accurate scout on them either. I think they underestimated because... Well, they, 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 they saw it as like a one-guy team, and so they focused a ton of their attention on Ali Ali, and then there was nothing left for, I think the big guy, they Freeman. were just thinking, oh, yeah, the, the big guy, they were thinking, well, okay, we'll, we'll be able to ma- manage him just kind of singled up. But they weren't considering that one random guard. Castaneda, is that his name? Castaneda. Uh, I, I thought they were anticipating Castaneda would do what he did. But I think they were surprised. They didn't double Freeman. They did nothing. They just thought Jaime would be able to to guard him. And it was like it was like uh, uh, like a roadrunner you know, when like that little dust ball and then he's just gone. I mean, that, that spin of the, the baseline spin of the basket, man, he, uh, Hawkes was grabbing air on that one. Yeah. So yeah, that was surprising. Um, the St. Mary's game went more along the lines that I thought it would having watched them this year. Uh, I thought UCLA matched up really well with them um, going into the game. Uh, I, I was never that impressed with, is it Tass or Toss? I never, you know. Um, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I thought that they would be able to actually use Cody Riley against him because he just, he, he's pretty lumbering and so unathletic. Um, and then there was really, I was never really greatly impressed, except for Logan, Logan Johnson, you know, his ex Cronin's ex-player. Um, and it r- really got exposed when Cody Riley, I mean, they switched on everyone and Cody Riley was able to hold up and, and stay in front of most of those guys most of the time. So, yeah, uh, let's start with Cody Riley. 
I mean, well, because that's the thing. So with Cody Riley, I don't think that was purely just a function of St. Mary's being unathletic. I think it helped, and I think it helped give him some confidence. But he was clearly and obviously moving his feet better than he has at really any point this season, um, and was actually, I, I mean, not, not to put too fine a point on it, trying hard. Or was it just Kuzi um, was really not very. Uh, quick even no, for a point no there. i mean it, it, cody's been getting destroyed by everyone this year um on defense and there's there's guys slower than koozie who have taken him to the rack uh this season uh, no i mean he was actually stepping out and being willing to actually you know get up in a guy um which is what we was, saw from him last last year was his yeah, ability he just hasn't been doing he it had good year. feet he always had good yeah. feet yeah yeah but he, he wasn't doing it this year and i think the fact that koozie was you know, certainly not an athlete. I think it helped give him some confidence that he could do it. But that was a no, that was a different Cody than we've seen this year. Um, and maybe it's, you know, he's got that those NCAA tournament juices flowing. But I think that version of Cody would even play in the games where he's looked pretty bad recently. Um, he's got to be willing to play that hard on defense. If he is, then he's playable. Um, but I think the amount of minutes he's gotten prior to this past game were pretty much unjustified because he wasn't doing that and he wasn't playing hard on defense and it was costing UCLA possession after possession. This one, I thought he was a positive. I thought he was, you know, I don't think Miles Johnson got enough of a run because I think he was doing, he wasn't doing similar things, but he was causing similar amounts and maybe even greater amounts of disruption to that uh, St. Mary's offense. Uh, But he wasn't getting the run, but Cody Riley was a positive when he was in as well. So that leads us, well, I mean, we can still, dwell on that game because it was fun but i mean north carolina upcoming on friday um of course everyone's thinking about jaime Hawkes's ankle which is a big thing but uh, we won't know about that we'd have to assume he's gonna play he has i mean he'll play it's a matter of how effective he'll be he's got six days really to to come back rehab um i've watched north carolina probably three times this year I didn't really pay that close to, close attention to them until the Baylor game. Um, which did you did you happen to watch that game? I watched that whole thing. Dang. I watched them a couple of times. They they're 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 so if you watch them at the beginning of the season versus now, it's a they're different and they're a lot better um, now. This is not. Um, I mean, it's the classic. They're not an eight seed. They really aren't. Uh, this is a team that's got some real high major talent, and they've got they've got it at several different positions that could cause problems for UCLA. Um, like, just take all right at the at the post spots. They've got Baycott and uh, Manic. Um, so Manic is like a I would call him a stretch four. Basically, um, he's he's devastating from the three point line. He's also got incredible elbows. Um, yeah, as we saw. You, oh, but first, side note, side note. Everyone was getting on this guy for getting the flagrant two. The dude he elbowed tried to break a UNC player's leg in the first half. That guy should have been out of the game right then. That Jeremy Soka, whatever his name was. Yeah, he, he had a little bit of an edge to him, you'd say. I would say he was one of the dirtiest players I've ever seen play college basketball. Okay, wow. He was yeah. doing it all game. That guy was a – that was incredible. Um, but anyway – Manic, um, he's a good face up four. Uh, Baycott's a really good post player, big strong guy. Um, Baycott is is really good. I mean, yeah, really. When we were preparing is... for UCLA to play them, 
in December. And then I watched him a little. I just said, oh, Baycott's just going to destroy. I thought you said it would win, but Baycott would destroy them. So This, I think, has to be a more Miles Johnson game. You would think it would make sense, but I will bet it isn't. <laughs> it's just how many times how how many times will Cody Riley get his little jump hook blocked in this one? You know, and that we're going back to talking about this, and it's funny because everyone wants to go all or nothing, you know, black and white on every single issue, and that's not the way this is. Um, when you're determining like who's more effective between Cody Riley and Miles Johnson. A lot of times, obviously, it's about the matchups. It's about the matchup yep. team-wise. It's about the matchup individually. Riley matched up well against St. Mary's because, well, he moved his feet and he could, uh, and he could stay with Kuzi. So I, I, when you're able to switch, UCLA's defense you know, is, is pretty good, um, especially when you got the, the perimeter players uh, matching up with St. Mary's post player well enough, too, which is something. Um, but we've, it's funny because Cody Riley played a good game. So now there are people saying everyone who was calling for Miles Johnson, Miles Johnson to play more than Cody Riley. Well, you were wrong. Uh, and that's not the way this is <laughs> there. You have to, for one, you can't cherry pick that. You've got to take a, a collective look, a cumulative look at what we've been seeing first. And then it's about matchups. And it's also about who makes the team better on both sides of the court. Defensively, I think in most situations, Miles Johnson makes them a better defensive team. And in most situations, he actually makes them a better offensive team. That's not to say there aren't times when Cody Riley will be better on the court because of matchups in certain players. Um, but as you're saying... This is one where it would be surprising if UCLA staff determined that Cody Riley was the better matchup for North Carolina. Yeah, I, I would, I would, that would, that would be the, that would be one where I would, you know, because St. Mary's, you could make the argument even pregame. Okay, that makes sense. Akron, you could make the argument pregame, um, sort of. Um, this sort one, of. it would be hard to, because um, Baycott's such a size um, and he does. He does things defensively that'll make it really hard to take advantage of the, you know, theoretical advantage that Cody Riley provides as an inside scoring presence. Um, he's a really, 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 really plus rebounder. Um, and so Cody Riley isn't. Miles Johnson is closer to a plus rebounder. Um, so to be even on the glass, you probably want Miles in there. Um, there's just a lot that plays into it that would make that make sense. And the other matchup that I think is uh, potentially problematic is R.J. Davis and Tiger Campbell. Um, if you've been paying attention to Tiger Campbell's defense the last, I don't know, three weeks, it hasn't been good. It was okay uh, against St. Mary's, but it hasn't been very good. He's been um, – there's been a lot of inattention um, where he's kind of uh, helping off for strange reasons. You'll see it like halfway through a play, and then suddenly a guy's wide open. Um, Davis is also um, – I would say a pretty damn good athlete. It's pretty quick. Um, and generally speaking, I feel like Tiger plays better defense when he's playing up in size. But when he's playing against guys who are similarly sized, um, he's generally not quite as quick defensively as they are. That's interesting. Um, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe differ. I'm going to say that I think 
Tiger's up for this. I think R.J. Davis is a good defensive matchup for him. Not too big. What is he? I mean, he's probably 5'11". He's not that much bigger than Tiger. And he went off in that game <laughs> against Baylor. Um, just And he had a bunch of wide open looks, but he was hitting everything. He uh, That was his best game of the season that he's played. Um, I think... This is what I think. I think both of them are going to be effective offensively. It's a matter... I don't think... Did you watch R.J. Davis's defense? Nah, it was okay. I mean, I think they're both going to struggle to contain each other is the way it's going to be. Yeah, if it gets into up and down scoring, that's going to be UNC advantage. Um, that's where I think... You, you just hit it right there. That's so much the key. There's a right. difference in styles. UCLA needs to slow it down, play a half-court game. Yeah. And that's going to be, so the other part of this that's going to be a bit of a challenge is um, the, the defensive matchups in the front court if Jaime is hobbled. Um, because Manic is going to demand that you kind of get out to the perimeter to guard him. Yep. Uh, Caleb Love is a pretty good shooter. And Leaky Black's not really an offensive player at all. But if you leave him open, he can hit from deep. And I would be very worried about like, uh, God, what was that in that Florida game? Corey Brewer, who was not a shooter, but if you leave him wide open, he can hit some threes. Oh, why would uh, you even bring up that? Name? I know. But that's the kind of situation this – because I think that's going – because that's what UCLA does. They like to take away fastballs. And so this is going to be a situation where I think Leaky Black is left alone um, and they're going to cheat off of him because uh, he's not really an offensive player. Um, but he hits 34% of his threes. So – it's just tricky. They've got they've got some decent size in their front court, is what I'm kind of getting at. Baycott's six ten, Manic is six nine, Leaky Black is six eight, and that's not to say that UCLA doesn't have its kind of oversized situation. I think they'll play really good defense on Caleb Love. I think he'll have as tough a game as he did against Baylor. Um, but those big guys, you could see some problems with constantly covering all three of them. I think it comes down to two things: uh, the pace of the game, whether UCLA can control it. Uh, or whether North Carolina can get some points in transition and, and, uh, and what happens there. Um, and then secondly, defensively, which, and not necessarily about individual matchups, but who plays the best team defense? UCLA played excellent team defense against St. Mary's. They were helping at the right time. They were doubling at the right time, rotating. I, I mean... That was, that was like a pack line defense really executed incredibly well. Um, North Carolina is prone to making a lot of mistakes. They, they I think, uh, don't have it in front of me, but I think I remember hearing that they turn over the ball. Um, I think whichever team... So, can, they're, can, they're not, so that was kind of a, a, a situational thing. They turned it over a ton against Baylor because they were pressed at the end. Yeah, and that was crazy. Like they, kind of got out of control yeah they're not they're not a bad turnover team they're like 60th in the country in turnover rate they're they're pretty good um but that game i think it showed um they can be a little bit shaky uh under pressure yeah yeah that's the thing too um i would be uh, if if i were coming up with a game plan i'd say throw uh, i mean uh, really defend the inbound for one thing i mean not only did they struggle against full court pressure the bigger thing was the struggle about getting the ball in it was mm -hmm. uh, honestly i gotta say uh, i'm just gonna go out and say it i'm gonna say it right now um i thought the last 
God, I don't even know how many minutes it was, but I'd say the last seven minutes of that game, Hubert Davis really coached, a, uh, regardless if he coached pretty well up to that point, the last seven minutes or so were not coached well. No, it was wow. uh, the, the, those inbounds plays were some of the worst inbounds plays I've ever seen. And we've watched some pretty bad ones. Um, <laughs> we have. Uh, but like the it was basically one guy jog right, one guy jog lightly left. And then I'm going to hold the ball. And he has I think his worst passer was the one inbounding the ball. I think it was leaky black. Um, and he was holding it way too long. Like I, I was watching on the TV and I thought I was going insane because I'm like, wait, that guy's open. Just throw him the ball. And he wouldn't throw the ball. I think he took one five second violation. So many things. Um, they pulled up in a corner. They like, but then, but then the, the the like answer to the play was like some guy lightly jogging into the key, and then he's gonna like lightly throw him the ball, and then they're gonna turn it over like half the time. There were a couple of times what when the guy that? flashed to the ball, and they wouldn't give it to him, and he was open. That's what I'm saying. And then, yeah. It, um, it was. It, and was, it wasn't it was, just that. It was in the half court when they finally got the ball across. And they were just dribbling the clock uh, out. They were, and Baylor was out extending, pressuring the ball. And wow, I mean, there was no answer. North Carolina, what was it, a 24-point lead just disappeared? I think well, after that, I know Baylor has some athletes. They were able to do it. But UCLA, I think, is capable of putting some pressure to get some turnovers and, and just kind of get them out of any kind of rhythm. Uh, after what I saw against Baylor. I would probably wait to do it. I would probably deploy it at some key moments, but I don't think I would make it a habit because first, I think UNC will see that that was something that was scouted from this game and they're probably going to adjust would be my guess. And second, the last thing you want to do is influence this game into a track meet. And I would be very leery of anything that speeds it up too much at the beginning. That's I true. Think, I, I think the main thing for the beginning of this game is to put it at a walking pace um, and put this like you're just walking it up and you're playing defense for 25 seconds and then they have to force up a tough shot. Like play some hard basketball for 10 minutes and get them out of their comfort zone and then press them um, because hey, then they're going to have it all in the back of their heads. Then they're going to be pressing. Hopefully you're up yeah. by 10 at that point Good call. and you can quickly make it 20. Shouldn't Brady Manic like be, have to sit for a half? I mean, no, no, yes, because no. yes. he, he was he was doing the right and justified and honorable thing, which was elbowing that schmuck. In no, the no, face. no. I know. But he got thrown out. He yeah. he needs to sit for half. I mean, that's what they do in football. Why? Why not in basketball? All right. He has to he has to sit for whatever percentage of the game that you would describe Jaime Hawkins's percentage level at. OK, so if Jaime Hawkins is 70 percent for this game. Brady Manick should have to sit for 30 percent above what he would have said. I think that's absolutely valid. One hundred percent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is, I was watching that game. What I came away with was I would have rather played Baylor. Um, I think Baylor with their limitations right now would have probably projected as a slightly better matchup for UCLA, but this one isn't the worst. Hmm. I, I, like I disagree. I disagree. I think right now, North Carolina is getting a little bit overhyped as did St. Mary's, um, uh, Baylor, Baylor's a better team. <laughs> Baylor is just flat out a better team. North Carolina got hot for a while, but Baylor is a more talented, more athletic team. I, I much rather would play North Carolina by far, but yeah. 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 Well, we will see. We will see. So much um, of it is about those ankles. Yeah. Jaime's, uh, if Jaime's ankles are not, um, 
in tip top. I mean, I think it's still like the way Peyton Watson has been playing and obviously what uh, you can get from Jalen Clark. Um, and as we saw this year, when Jaime has been limited, it's not like the team just completely folds. Um, but he has been such an essential part of scoring anything offensively, um, especially at the beginnings of games lately. Um, it's hard to reconstruct that on the fly. Um, and Johnny Jew saying, yeah, there, he's showing signs of having his kind of confidence and swagger back. But it's not at NCAA tournament 2021 levels right now. Um, Tiger Campbell's been good. But, you know, he's he's more of your, you know, your secondary option off of your primary option. Jules Bernard has poured in some points, but Here's whenever, the, it feel, yeah. whenever the pressure is a little bit too much on Jules to score, then he, you know, occasionally throws up a one for nine game from three. Here's the guy to me that has disappeared that UCLA could really use on its way to the Final Four championship game. David Singleton, David Singleton hasn't made a three-pointer in six games homie he hasn't played he's, he's so here's here's where here's where david singleton stands so here are the last two games in february he was at 26 minutes against oregon state and 27 minutes against washington so that's 53 minutes since then he has played a combined hang on 42 minutes in six games yeah. he's averaging seven minutes a game in the last six games but he is always shortened. a guy that comes in cold and makes a three <laughs> he's 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 shot the ball total in six games four times. Yeah. Like I I don't know. The 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 rotation going from him playing I think if I'm looking at this correctly, just eyeballing it in February, he was averaging over twenty minutes a game. Yeah. And now he's at seven. Yeah. And that a lot of that was because uh, they were missing someone. Someone was uh, Johnny Juzang was out for a couple well, of years. Whoever it was, it was a variety of guys, yeah. 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 But um, that's 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 a tough look. Um, and UNC, again, it's a team. But, like, he didn't even get minutes against St. Mary's. And St. Mary's, in theory, was going to be a decent enough matchup for him. I know they run people off the three, um, but they're not athletes. Um, he couldn't get minutes against Zachron. Yeah. Um, so getting minutes against UNC with their length and uh, athleticism, I think that's going to be a hard sell, too. But, yeah, if he can come in and provide 10 minutes, and, you know, make a couple of threes that would do wonders he's the da he's the dagger like. kid man it's just you're trying uh, opposing teams are trying to you know mark and cover and deny ball, uh, ball to so many other Bruins and and trying to take away good looks and then he comes in and he's like the fourth consideration and when he catches and shoots and that just I think it's so deflating they're they're expending so much energy trying to keep <laughs> everyone else from getting a good look and then when he buries one it uh, it's it's more than him just making a shot it's yeah it's so deflating for the other team um that would be really good just to get one or or just even one three-pointer for david singleton and i'm not blaming him at all you're right i mean he hasn't played um so that's that's kind of that's an element to keep in the back of your mind especially against North Carolina. I'm not greatly impressed with North Carolina's defense. Um, just okay. I mean, uh, a lot of lapses at times. Um, and like I said, sometimes their help defense, their guys sleeping. Um, I think they rely a lot on uh, that Bacot is back there and potential, you know, rim protector. Uh, I, I, I think that's the... 
Among the four units, let's say, both offense and both de defensive units, I, I think the worst unit is North Carolina's defense. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, uh, the worst two units in this game are North Carolina's offense and North Carolina's defense. Um, they're, they're, they're not, I mean, uh, yeah, they're, they're a good team. They're not UCLA's level. Um, you know, UCLA is a is a more efficient offensive team, and they're a much more efficient defensive team. Uh, North Carolina, the one elite quality, if you're looking at the stats, is that they clean up their own defensive glass really well, which makes sense given the players they put out there. I mean, between um, Baycott, um, you know, Leaky Black's a good de uh, defensive rebounder. Uh, Mannix a good defensive rebounder. Um, even, like, R.J. Davis, for his size, is a good defensive rebounder. Um, so, I mean, they, they clean up their own glass well. It's another game where, kind of like St. Mary's, I expect UCLA will more or less concede the offensive glass, especially to take away transition, because UNC, I mean, it is a real contrast in styles. This isn't quite like Roy Williams' peak uh, tempo, but they do, I mean, they're the 31st fastest team um, in college basketball this year. Uh, UCLA is... Um, below average, um, you know, to slow. Um, so, and I think this is a game where it makes total sense for UCLA to try to play it in the like 60 to 62 possessions range. Um, because that'll keep, I mean, UNC is not comfortable playing at that pace. Um, it's just not something they're used to doing. They want to get out and run. Um, they want to get it up tempo. Um, they haven't played too many low scoring games this year. Um, but one thing we're, you know, at this point you have to be pretty confident that UCLA under Mick Cronin against basically every team not named Gonzaga and maybe Arizona is able to control tempo. How many games this season has the opponent forced its will of tempo on UCLA and was successful with it? Literally, maybe. I think it was Gonzaga. Um, yeah, because I wouldn't even argue the 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 second the second Arizona loss. That was more just. UCLA completely like having its legs give out at the end of that game. So I say this UCLA's biggest advantage here is what we've been talking about, being able to control tempo and the whole tone of the game. Um, so uh, are we allowed to like look ahead or will everyone just blame us and say we curse them? What the things? hell, man? You only live once. Okay, so, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a path. There's a, there's a path. Um, well, there's a two-game path. I mean, at this point, they have path. to just win two more games, and they're going to be favored against North Carolina. It's two points right now. It'll be probably somewhere around that game time. And then it's going to be one of Purdue and Texas and one of uh, – Well, wait. Well, didn't, no, just didn't, St. Barriers. Didn't Purdue beat Texas? <laughs> We're not doing that. I'm not doing that with you. I'm not doing it. We are recording this on Sunday. Um, so Purdue, Texas – I think we, should, I, we I, just should have gone for it and said Purdue well, – just, <laughs> I actually think Texas is going to win that game. Uh, it's a coin flip. And then just um, say, like, when we, oh, God, we got it. Sorry, we got it wrong. We just, but we recorded this Monday morning. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, yeah, so it'll be one okay. of St. Peter's, Texas, or Purdue. Um, and all of those teams are beatable. I think Purdue, um, Purdue is the trickiest and weirdest matchup because of their insane size at center. Yep. Uh, they have a 7-4 guy um, as their backup center. Who, and he, who's really good. I really like he him. Is, he is really good. I really like Their him. two best players are their centers. Um, so that's tricky. Um, but uh, And Texas is a very well-coached uh, Chris Beard team that's lost some games this year. But, um, you know, they're also comfortable playing at UCLA's tempo. 
Um, so that would be tricky. I, I would I, I would I th- like the Purdue yeah. matchup more, even though it's got a tricky thing at center going on. I thought I read or someone posted that uh, no team has made a Final Four that is under, I don't know, like 40 for Ken Palm's adjusted defense or something. And Purdue is like... Is, Purdue is ninety. Their yeah, offense. Their Purdue, offense Purdue is doesn't two. play any defense. Yeah, they don't play defense. Their offense um, is two. Yeah. Yeah. Number two. They're um, for their size. They're really bad at rim protection. Uh, yeah. They don't turn you over. Um, they rebound okay. Their own defensive glass, but it's nothing special. Um, offensively, they're elite. I mean, they shoot the three better than anybody, pretty much. Um, they rebound the glass both ends really, really well. So. It's it's a tricky thing. Um, I mean, but... if you go by Ken Palm, they would be, they'd be favored in every in every single matchup until Gonzaga. Yeah, Ken Palm would have this as UCLA being the favorite in the region right now. Didn't Ken Palm get all snarky in a in a tweet today? Or... Yes, he, he did because um, well, <laughs> was, his number, Ken because... Palm's got a sense of humor. Well, because his his thing is all based on dominance, right? It's yeah. like any of these analytic systems. They've shown over time that like the best predictive is actually not just beating teams, but showing dominance over them. You know, beating them by a lot. He doesn't even put a cap on uh, margin of victory. Like you could, if you blow a team out by forty, then that is more impressive than blowing them out by thirty. Um, and something that guys like Mick Cronin don't love because they're not you know often running up the score like that. But it's also why Gonzaga's. Um, you know, very loved by all of these systems. Um, but Houston didn't really play too many teams this year, but the teams but the teams that were on their schedule, yeah, they lost a few games, but the teams that were, you know, given to them as part of their conference schedule, they annihilated, um, just ran through them. And so right now in Ken Palm, Houston, which is a five seed, is the number two team. And he, and he said um, something like, yeah, I don't know, my mistake. Houston only won one quad one game while Illinois won six. Oops. Right. Well, funny. it's just like the the Big Ten thing. Like, I, like I, I get the people who are saying it's better than last year, and it is. But there, first, there isn't an elite team in the Big Ten this year. Um, and the teams that were, um, you know, good enough to make the tournament were all overseeded. I mean, Purdue was overseeded. Wisconsin was way overseeded. Uh, Illinois was overseeded. And um, I'm interested to see because we're, we're at, I think, halftime or pretty close to it. Yeah. Iowa State's up by six. Um Greg's man TJ um, up by six over Wisconsin right now. I like TJ. I know him yeah. also. Hey, yeah. hey! If we get to the final four, we, we gotta find Ken Pomeroy and just buy him a bunch of drinks. That'd be fun. That'd be so. That's that's a goal. That's a bucket list right there. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, Wisconsin looks like they're gonna lose. Um, probably jinxing them real time right now. But um, yeah, I mean the Big Ten's just booty. Um, so yeah, I mean, so UCLA wait, wait, is the yeah. is the marginal favorite in the region yeah. right now. Yeah. Um. Uh, did you think, uh, in the Michigan State Duke game, would you have said there were some unnecessary foul calls toward the end? So, I, so here's where three I was on one right. possession. I, I mean, I didn't feel it was egregious for the entire okay. game. Like I yeah. thought it was fine for the entire game. And then when Michigan State went up seventy to sixty-five, it felt like every single call was going in Duke's favor suddenly. Um, and there were like plays where they called the Michigan State player for a foul, where it was an open court, you know, transition opportunity, and the Duke player is literally hitting him with his left arm, <laughs> and the Michigan State player gets called for the foul. 
and it was just you know it's just like the 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 successive things but like there was a there was this sequence on one possession where Michigan State got called for three fouls, where you could see Izzo literally laughing like a maniac. I've never on the seen him look like that. He knew what was happening. He looked right like then. he was at some backyard barbecue and had like four beers under his belt. Right, and he was just losing it. Um, but it was, um, yeah. I mean, it, what I'd say about the game as a whole is it wasn't the pure home cooking, and I think it's got to be baked into anybody who's playing Duke this year. Yeah, the officials might not be entirely in the bag for Duke, but if you allow it to be close at the end. Um, you've, you're going to be playing a little bit of five on eight. Um, so just don't allow it to be close. Blow those turkeys out, guys. At what percentage of the college – well, not even just college – it's just any fans that are tuning in. To, what, what's the There's no one who is rooting for Duke besides no, people who let, live Let's in just Durham. be fair. There's probably like 4% of the people rooting for Duke and 96% rooting for them to lose. About. Correct. Correct. I've never I've never paid attention to Fullerton basketball, but I was locked in when they were you know playing them semi close for like part of the first. Time. I got a great story. So I used to I was I used to date this girl who went to Duke. She had a little bit of you know just a little bit of kind of a smug attitude, and it would come out every once in a while. And um, she would occasionally say like if I met one of her friend like one time we we're at a bar and met one of her friends and she said and she lived in los angeles and she said um yeah this is tracy i you know he went to ucla um yeah i'm slumming it with a with a state school guy oh <laughs> that's funny then she said it a couple of more times so we lasted about probably a month and i just decided to break up with her she said, why i thought we were doing really well and i said I'm going to say literally what it is. I think you're a little bit of a snob and I didn't appreciate those comments. So I'm, I'm going to say I'm breaking up with you solely because of those comments. That's it. (laughs) 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 One of my favorite breakups of all, of all time. I mean, Duke, would you say Duke is hateable? Would you say that Dave? It's not just hateable. There's some stronger level. They have everything that's bad about USC and then everything that's bad about the Ivy Literally everything or that's anything bad, that's bad about society. About... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they've got – so I think with USC, it's it's different. But, like, with Duke, there's also the historical element, you know? Yes. It's like a, oh my Lord. you know, a southern private university. We don't want that. No. Yeah. None of that. Bruce, how did you send your daughter there? I'm so disappointed. That's one of my biggest disappointments in him. But yeah, what can you do? But what can you do? Um, so uh, UCLA plays the uh, the more noble of the uh, the rivals, uh, North Carolina. At least it's a public school. For I, I mean, sake, don't right? you always root for North Carolina, Duke? Always? I, oh yeah. I, oh yeah. No question. No question. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, North Carolina's. You know, they don't. Look, and Duke embraced the one-and-done thing, which, like, I think aligned them on the axis of evil with Kentucky, uh, whereas North Carolina didn't. Yeah. You know, they went they went more with, uh, okay, we're going to be a little bit more like uh, Villanova and, and Michigan State and that sort of thing, and so they've got more two- and three- and four-year players, um, which, you know, that's, that's something we can get behind. So right now, even though it's Sunday and there's still some round of 32s to be played, what's your final four? Uh, well, I'm gonna have UCLA in there. Uh, absolutely, you? because they're favored. You yeah. can't say we're jinxing it, anyone out there. Don't 
at us that we jinx this. We're going by just if they would be favored in these games, okay? I'm just going to tell you what it is because I, my Final Four is still alive. No. I swear to God. Really? UCLA, Texas Tech. I got Texas Tech advancing out of the West. That's right. And wait, but wait, I did, wait, I did have, wait. I did have Memphis beating Gonzaga. Wait, back up, back up. Oh, that was there was. I thought that was going to happen. I thought that I thought would so happen too. more than Michigan State would beat Duke. I swear to God, yeah. Uh, and then I've got Arizona and Auburn on the other side. So wait, Texas Tech is going UCLA. to beat Duke and Gonzaga. Yeah, I swear to God. Wow. <laughs> if they do that, that is one of the most epic achievements. <laughs> yeah. You beat, and then I've you got... beat Gonzaga when they're a number one seed, when they've been favored to win the NCAA championship, I don't know, eight years in a row. And then you beat Duke on Shashevsky's yep. finals and just end his career. Yeah. Wow. It'll be beautiful. That'd be yeah. cool. Some some team from Lubbock just Lubbock. ends their career, Mike. We'd have to fly um, to Lubbock just to party in Lubbock. Michael. Um, and then I've got UCLA, Arizona in the title game. Do you? Wait, who's coming out of the Midwest? Kansas? Uh, Auburn. That's a good call. Yeah. That's a good call. I, I don't think I don't think Arizona makes it. I think I'm going with Auburn, too. UCLA, think, Arizona in the final. Who wins? UCLA. Ah! Come on, get out of here. <laughs> oh, it's rampant Homerism. Woohoo! Um, no, because I, I think Christian Coloco will be so worn out after having to hang with uh, Walker Kessler against <laughs> Auburn. He's okay. just going to be like, uh, "Sorry, Jaime, you can just score whatever you want." Yeah. And then UCLA. You're takes just it. small. I can't even. I can't even lean over to get. I can't. You. Can't so even just, think about you. Yeah. I just dealt with a guy who's seven one. You're. No. You're a little gnat. Just go do what you're going to do. Yeah, just do your old man stuff. I don't even care if you don't, can't jump how, off the floor. How old are you? Thirty four. <laughs> what? Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that um, the team is starting to embrace uh, Jaime being an old man, playing an old man's game. Did you see that Jalen Clark tweet? No, I didn't. It's a it, it's an image of uh, Jaime's face superimposed on like a dad carrying his kid piggyback, <laughs> um, and it said, "Besides me, who can guard this man?" Uh, That's Jaylen pretty Clark. funny. They should have had him funny. like photoshopped his face on a old guy playing at the YMCA. Yeah, with like the knee high athletic socks. Yes. And it, yes. I mean you wouldn't have to even change the headband. So No, yeah. everything everything would kind of fit and the yeah. verticals about the same right now. Um yeah, no, I, that that's the thing. It's like so watching him um turn the ankle it looked pretty devastating and then watching him like go back to the hallway it looked pretty bad, but already you were like, "Wait, he was just like basically unable to put weight on it." And then by the time he got to the hallway, he was limping around but he was limping um and then he gets up and he walks back to the to the bench and he's already like it's a heavy step but i wouldn't even call that a heavy limp anymore and then if you saw the video of him coming down from the airplane it was almost unnoticeable that he even had done anything to his you, you know what though they showed everyone else coming all the way down the staircase but they didn't show him coming down he just came down like one step and then walked to the bus they were probably carrying him down the steps and then they did that <laughs> for the video <laughs> I, I I mean just to screw North Carolina. They actually they actually had rocket packs attached to his feet. Um and he was walking on sunshine. I got to um, say if he leaves this year whenever he leaves it's a sad day in Westwood. I mean I'm happy for him. I think I think he's going to I think he's going to carve out a, a good pro career. And I think he's always going to surprise everyone. But dang I, I got to tell you really don't want the guy to go. Anyone else? He's, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, really no, don't want him to go. 
if he comes back, he's he's got one of those like, um, you know, like one of those guys who plays for Wisconsin and is like a senior and is just like making like weird trick shots and is an All American. And you're like, where did this guy come from? I've never even heard of him before. That's got him written all over it. Like he's gonna be an All American next year if he came back. My daughter, like my daughter, is willing to give herself up for him. She said she would marry him. And this is a person, she's going to be a doctor, so she's kind of a catch there, Jaime. Um, if he stays another year, she would willingly marry him, is what she told me. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's fair I and don't correct. think there's any sacrifice going on there at all. No, I, I think that's I think that's a, yeah. that's a marriage of equals. Yeah. Um, no, I think, uh, Jaime, um, look, as it is right now, what I would say is in my lifetime of actually watching, which isn't even since the last title, but like since like basically late 90s, early 2000s, he's got to be top three for me. Okay, let's do it. Uh, Aaron Aflalo. Let's just throw out our Aaron Aflalo and Luke. Aaron Aflalo. Aaron Aflalo and Luke and Luke. Jaime are in the top three. That's the three. I'd say Darren Collison, but not his senior year. <laughs> Right? Yeah, I mean, he's in the top, he's in the, uh, whatever, top five. Why wouldn't he defend in his senior year? God. He wasn't, re- here's the thing, here's the thing. Let's let's go deep into the way back with Darren Collison. Okay. He built his entire defensive rep off of his freshman year. Yeah, And that's he got true. worse every single year after that. Yeah. Same with Luke, but Luke was still at such a high level that it didn't really matter. So, mine, I, I think it's really hard to supplant Aaron Aflalo. Nobody's going to do that. I think Jaime is now number two. I think that's correct. Because Luke, Luke's there, but I, I think Jaime, I think, it's, I think it's one, two, and then now it's a fall off to everyone else. I think he's clearly number two. I think the reason is because in much the same way Aflalo was for Howland, Hawkes really does epitomize um, like the stamp that Cronin has put on the program. Yeah. Um, like, could you find a tougher guy? No, Aaron Aflalo I mean, was the poster boy. Poster boy for Ben Howland. Yeah. Like embracing everything about that program. Spirit animal. Yeah. And then you've got Jaime Hawkes, who is, I, I think, almost even more of a quintessential spirit animal for Mick Cronin. And you know what? We're missing someone else here. And I'm going to I'm going to put him at number three for me right now. And that's Tiger Campbell. Wow. I really am. I, I think uh, we have said it. You and I have both said it. He's he might not be the best player, but he is consistently probably even though Jaime's now starting to, to compete. Tiger's been the MVP. <laughs> yeah. On this team, um, without him, for one thing, there's no other point guard, so he's he's just you know, just playing amazing. He's a workhorse, but wow, uh, what he's done, his his ability to run this offense, not turn over the ball, um, play way exceptional defense for how big he is, and and then. The most amazing thing. Yeah, people get become better shooters over the course of four years. At, but do you jump from 24% to what is he at? 39? 40, he's 40. at 41.3% on, on the second most shots on the team. And the, Yeah, this isn't like a guy who jumped up because he took 23 threes. No, it's not. So the Darren Collison year where he hit 51%, he only took 100 threes. This is 121 threes. Holy right crap. And then, and then, 
And then Aaron Holiday is there for me too. Aaron Holiday that one year, but wow, the thing is, that one year, the, his, the, the his problem last year. is the same way for Lavin for a lot yeah. of the guys who were there for like Earl Watson and stuff. It's like, yeah, you like the player, but there's a real negative hit these guys all take for the coach they played for. Yeah, but like, you you know that Aaron Holiday didn't like. <laughs> I knew see, it. see, Earl and, Watson and, and loves I, Steve I would, Lavin, but we know I would Aaron give, Holiday did not like Steve Alford. So I would give so much to have seen Aaron Holiday or Norman Powell play for Mick Cronin. Oh, wow. either one of those would have been awesome. Yeah, Aaron Holiday, God. Oh, so, Norman Powell, Norman Powell playing for Mick Cronin would have been an All-American. So, uh, Tiger Campbell or Aaron Holiday? Um, I got to go Tiger there. Okay. Um, where's Luke on that? Because we're a Flalo. So, Hawkes. so mine, so mine is going to be a Flalo, Hawkes, Luke. Okay. And then I'm probably going Collison, Campbell. Really? That's probably my top five. I'm, I'm, and then you, you got to remember Kevin Love. It was just one year. No, loves was, loves top six ish for me. Right. Yeah. He's he's up there. And then Westbrook's um, there. Yeah, Westbrook's up there. Yeah. Um, he was good, um, but he like again. You don't want to taint it with too much of the NBA stuff. He's he's yeah yeah. For for UCLA, he was good. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't so, those other guys though. I'm a follow Hawkes, Campbell. I gotta go with Aaron Holiday. Not only got better and better, but that last year, he was phenomenal. Man, how many big shots did he hit? He was phenomenal. I think. I mean, he, were any of them big shots? Where they well, okay, okay. He and Luke are are close. Luke is Luke was great, and I love Luke. And I'm inflating Luke because not just the lay-in that went so high off the glass. <laughs> what were you doing? I mean, almost it almost bounced off the top of the backboard. It wasn't that. It's the ball coming back the other way, and he just supermans it and dives for the turn. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like if you can do that, why don't you do that every play? Well, and that was that was almost like the frustration with Luke um, towards the end of his time is that, like, he was such a natural and instinctual rebounder that first year. Yeah. Let me let me go back and look at it. Yeah, he was forty fourth in the country in offensive rebound rate, and he was sixty third in the country in defensive rebound rate at six eight. Yeah. Or six seven, probably. I think in reality, Uh, he was doing that as a freshman. Yeah. And then it dropped off second year, and then dropped off even more his third year. And it was just like, you could be, you, you you could be like one of the freakiest players in college basketball. And it's not even that he wasn't, even at the end. It's just what could have been if, I don't know, the motivation had been different. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. Like, it's not even, he was so good in his three years. And it was still like, you could, like freshman year Luke was a cheat code. Like it was like a superpower. Yeah. Um, and he was still very good after that, but. Uh, that freshman year, if, there, if there'd just been three years of that, I don't know. Does UCLA win a title? Maybe. And you know, here's the thing too, because I've gotten in a conversation with a friend of mine and I, I'm going to just go out on this limb and say, I think I might be one of the best authorities on this subject. And that's UCLA basketball recruiting. Um, because I've been doing this a long time. I've watched it from the inside. I've watched it from so many angles and it's not that I'm guessing or just, speculating i've seen it play out in what happens uh we got in this conversation because the topic was will cronin be able to consistently recruit five-star guys 
And I kept saying, that's not his ticket to success at UCLA. It's never been your ticket to success at UCLA. In fact, it's what led to the demise. I'd say among all the things that, that brought down Ben Halland, that might've been number one. There were other things, but that might've been the number one factor that brought him down. One of the biggest negative factors of Steve Alford was going after only five-star guys. The way you win, uh, it, from, for a number of reasons, it, it, no matter who you are as a coach, most five-star guys are not going to be a fit for UCLA. M most of the time, because other big-time programs are going to buy them off, and UCLA can't compete. Now with NIL, it's a whole new ball game, but it's only going to be worse because it's legal. So UCLA will never compete, really. Occasionally, they'll steal someone from uh, Kentucky and Duke. I was going to say Kook. I like that. That's, a, That's really good. Yeah. I love it. Um, but they will almost always, I, you know, high percentage, will they will lose out recruiting those five stars. What they need are these multiple-year, three- to four-year guys that play the way the coach wants you to play. And they're pros. All these guys we just listed are pros. I mean, let's throw out Love. He was the one and done. But all, and Westbrook because he's, he's weird. Um, all these other guys were pros. They were, three to, they were multiple, multiple year guys, but they were pros. You, you win at UCLA with the Aflalos, the Hawkeses, the Campbells, uh, the Lupa Mutes, the, the Aaron Holland. These are the guys, Norman Powell's, these are the guys you need to go out as a UCLA staff and evaluate. The Jalen Clarks, you need to find these guys and stock your program. For one thing, I'll tell you why with, with Cronin, too. Let's just be straight. Cronin's tough on his guys. I mean, if you've ever sat near the bench, Cronin can lay into them pretty, pretty shockingly. you got to be a tough kid. Most five-star kids have been coddled for years and years, and they're not going to take that. And I've known a bunch of kids who have considered UCLA and learned like how tough Cronin can be on his players, where ultimately they come out the better, the other end, a much better, tougher player, but they recognize that they couldn't, they, there was no way they could take that. I mean, they just couldn't. So if you recruit these multiple, multiple year guys, they are so much more capable of, of being coached by Cronin and turning into tough asses. All of these guys we mentioned, tough asses, man. Tough asses. I mean, Darren Collison punched out <laughs> Jordan Farmer. <laughs> one still one of my top three or four one of, uh, stories of all time. But all of these guys are tough asses, and they say, hey, I'm going to UCLA. Mick Cronin's tough to play for, but he's a great coach. He's going to make me better. These guys... These multiple-year guys are by far more apt to be able to come to UCLA. These are the guys, this staff and every staff previous and every staff that ever ends up at UCLA, this is who you build your program on. Yeah, it's it's really, really simple, put it very succinctly. It's uh, the, the advantage of the UCLA job is the proximity to uh, wealth of top 100 players and the disadvantage of the program is the temptation to recruit the guys who are top 10. Always. I mean, it. Ben Halland 
Went to three Final Four. I'm just looking at it right now, actually. Yeah. Hang on. Sure. Well, I'll uh, keep talking while you're looking. Be- well, no. Uh, the, okay, the you top talk. 100. Look, uh, next next year, it's talked about as a weak class, right? Yeah. For all various positive and negative reasons. Um, there are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six four stars in California. And I don't, I mean, you you know these guys better than I do. I know Dusty Stromer. I've watched him. But, like, you know, a bunch of dudes, all uh, four stars are better, and it's a weak class. Um, clean up on those guys. Yeah. Just uh, just wipe the floor with these dudes. And, yeah, I mean, are they, I don't know, whoever the hell J.J. Taylor is? No. But who cares? You're going to get three, four years out of these guys, and they're going to give a lot more value to your program. Who cares where they end up in the NBA? Yeah. Um, I think right now, I think Cronin staff has a good approach. Right now, what they're doing, like, we haven't had too many full normal recruiting cycles because, well, he's in his third year and COVID. This might be the first one. And what they're doing is they've recognized elite guys across the country. And they're just not scattershot. Like Steve Alford, just, you know, that five-star guy, I'll offer him and him. They have to have some kind of connection. They have to have an indication that they really have a chance. So they'll go after the elite guy early while they have their hand in the other, mostly local guys. Um, And probably everything's sped up. So it used to be summer, but I I think more, it's more about spring now because there are more evaluation periods in spring than there used to be. Um, I think we're going to see what the staff does is go after those five-star guys, see how they do with them. But then use summer and, I mean, spring and summer to start finding some local guys that emerge. Um, and if they do that, I have, I, have no, I have no uncertainty, any doubts that Mick Cronin will be able to coach at UCLA as long as he wants to. I don't think he will change his spots the way Ben Hallen tried to do. Um, I think he will just keep doing what he's doing. So it's really a matter of him getting, getting the guys. Um, so that's what's going to be critical. In, two, in 2023, we've talked about it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a big class. Um, they'll probably, hopefully, sign three to four guys by November. Uh, see who else emerges and then look to the transfer portal because they had a lot of interest in the transfer portal um, last off season. Uh, and we're not talking like we're not talking this off season that they looked at the transfer portal because well, they can't, <laughs> uh, they have no scholarships. They'll, this is the 2023 class. This is the whole process. Now you start, well, you start early, but then you get to spring and summer, you do all the evaluations. You start offering all the guys beyond just the five-star guys, sign a few guys in November. Then in the off season, you start looking at the transfer portal. We haven't seen that yet with UCLA because it's just been it's been strange, and he's been full up with scholarships. This is going to be the first real cycle. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how he does. I'm hoping that they do start recognizing some multiple year guys that are that are local um, that they'll start offering, and I've seen indications that that's that's probably going to happen. Um, so that's that's kind of exciting to me. Um, uh, coming off one Final Four, or coming off two Final Fours, um, 
And then, and then recruiting for the full, first real legitimate cycle, the way recruiting is now, this is going to be really exciting to watch recruiting. You all need to strap in to watch this 2023 class because there could be upward, I might be conservative to say six, but there might be eight scholarships that they might have to fill. So, wow, that's going to be kind of crazy. Um, but extremely fun, especially especially if you like following recruiting. I think they're doing really well with Dusty Stromer, uh, the shooting guard from uh, Sherman Oaks Notre Dame. I really like him. Uh, he's a great three to four year guy. Um, really, uh, he's probably 6'5", really skilled, skinny as all heck. I swear he must weigh the 160, maybe. He's got a little bit bigger, but he is really quick. One of the quickest guys I've seen off the dribble, just that first step and explosive. Really, really, really like him. Um, so we'll see. But guys to watch, um, Devin Williams is a 6'9", 6'10", post player who can jump out of the gym, hyper-athletic. Uh, he's actually developed a three-point shot. He has nothing else in between. He can hit an occasional turnaround like a little jump hook. He's on there to watch list. If he really emerges in spring, they could maybe go get him. Another three to four year guy. Um, my question with him was always whether who would he be able to guard because he is rail thin himself, but he's getting better at his post defense. Um, so really like him. Um, there's a couple other guys that could emerge that it's going to be very exciting to watch locally to see how they do. All right. You still there? I'm here. I know I kind of rambled, but you know, it's kind You're of exciting it. though. This is exciting. I, no one in the world gets more excited about recruiting during the NCAA tournament than, than you. Tracy Pearson. Well, because it means something. It actually it means something. Well, no, the thing that means something is the thing that's happening right now. Yeah, that's true. But it's always fun to look forward. It's more fun I, to look forward than it is. Okay. Sure. I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks. Okay. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, I think that about, that about wraps it. For us here. Are we wrapped? I think we're about wrapped. I think we're about wrapped and about tied. Well, we have to say one thing. Uh, football recruiting, Gabriel, I know I'm sneaking this in. Look the other way. Gabriel Murphy and Grayson Murphy took an official visit. These are the two defensive end transfers from North Texas who verbally committed to UCLA. They took an official visit to Penn State. Of course, all, all the BBS is, is kicking in. They're gone. And they very well could be because verbal commitments for transfers are even, if they could be less binding than a regular high school player, they are because it doesn't mean anything. Um, you can sign a letter of intent as a high school player. You don't sign anything as a transfer. You have to be enrolled and in class and actually attend something before you are bound to that school. Uh, UCLA's class starts uh, July 28th practice starts July 29th, uh, July when I'm talking about, sorry about that. March 28th, March 29th. Uh, they are not bound to UCLA until they, they sh maybe show up to that first class or show up to practice. I'm being reassured by sources close to the situation that they have reaffirmed their commitment, not only earlier from Sunday, but later on Sunday. Had that reaffirmed, but it's Penn State. There's BBS. So, yeah, there you go. All right. 
Great stuff. We love it. Great stuff. We love it. All right. We hit it exactly just about an hour. That's pretty good. We crushed it. Yeah. All right. Well, you're going to be listening to this on Monday. There will be four more days of agonizing over whether Jaime Hawkes will play. And I'm telling you right now, speaking to you from Sunday, but also from the future, he will play. He will. He's oh, he's going to play because Absolutely. he's a tough he's ass. playing. It's just a matter yeah. if we get the Jaime that we've seen the last few weeks or that the other one who was hindered by his ankle. Right. That's the whole but issue. Yeah, he's going to play, and he's discovered. Um, I think he has unlocked pure old man game. So there'll be there'll be a semi-effective Jaime at the very least on Friday. Um, so we will talk to you again after that. But enjoy the uh, the rest of the NCAA tournament, everyone. Hey, and we'll talk to you again next time. Go Bruins, guys! This is fun.